Hi there, makers, writers, and rock stars. Few questions for the Ask Me Anything for this week. Uh, so the first one is, what? How should I set my resume up for a teaching specific role? So I think the main thing is to think about the kinds of teaching roles that you might want. So if we're talking academic teaching rather than, sorry, if we're talking university teaching rather than primary or secondary teaching, then in some respects, it's easier because you don't need a specific qualification or specific checks, et cetera, to be a university teacher. So in Australia, for example, you don't need a tertiary teaching qualification. Um, if you have the degree, generally you're allowed to teach into the degree. Uh, whereas if you're in primary or secondary teaching, then if you have the degree, you also need an education degree and you also need a working with children check in order to work with people under 18 years of age in Australia. So then in terms of resume content for a tertiary teaching role uh, at university, like I said, no qualifications. If you want to teach at a vocational education and training centre, such as a TAFE, a Technical and Further Education Institute in Australia, you will need a an adult learning qualification. Uh, so you'll need to make sure that you have that in place. That adult learning qualification might be useful in a university role, but it not, it's not necessarily. So the kinds of things that you need to pull out in your resume will all obviously relate to teaching. So let's say, for example, you were the head of a, um, uh, you were the manager at a fast food restaurant. You might have need to provide on-the-job training to the new recruits. And so you want to make sure that you put that in. You'd want to make sure that you talk about how you took them from being novices to being experts. You'd want to probably talk about the ages that they were. You might want to talk about how you dealt with difficulty for those people who couldn't quite grasp what they were doing. You'd want to talk about the different approaches that you might have used. So for example, the fast food chain might have a training package already, but you might um, have developed your own videos or, an, or your own manual or something like that. So talk about those kinds of things. Uh, you might also be a sports coach or a music coach. Talk about that in your resume as well. I know that might not be a massive part of the work you do, but if you're applying for a teaching role, you need to find those teaching experiences, including being a tutor and the different kinds of teaching that you do. So this either you're a one-to-one -one or small group or large group or lecture based or presentation based or in this day and age with COVID video based audio based all those different experiences are useful and in your resume given that lots of these things now are digitized like resumes are digitized and your teaching experience might be digitized don't be afraid to provide links to your YouTube channel or links to your social media that demonstrate your teaching experience uh, if you do do that Bear in mind that you are showing someone your social media and that might pro provide them an, or a reason or an opportunity or incentive to go and check out other posts and that might result in them not hiring you because of something that they have seen in your social media, good or bad. It, it just is an opportunity for potential discrimination, not discrimination, but certainly a, a reason to um, say no to you. So there is some advice on resume content if you're looking for a teaching role. Um, I should also say that if you have done your PhD, a lot of times as part of your PhD, if you're in a group situation, you'll be training honours students, or if you're third year PhD, you might be talking to first year PhDs. So all of that are teaching opportunities. The next question is a common one, and I think a lot of people have it, is how do I, or what should I finish a PhD that I have no interest in? And if the answer is yes, I should. Uh, how do I um, turn that into something or how do I get, get through it? So 
in answer to the first question, should I finish a PhD that I have no interest in? I think I'm going to answer that with more questions. So do you need a PhD for your future job? And I would say, unless you want to be an academic researcher, most jobs won't actually need a PhD in order to occupy them. And certainly a lot of jobs, even if they say they need a PhD, will happily hire someone enrolled in a PhD or about to submit uh, and then potentially let that lapse as a thing that they want uh, once you're in the role, particularly if you start performing well. So finishing a PhD, if you have no interest in, do I need it for my work? Do I want the qualification? Like, do I want to be called a doctor? And that is a reasonable reason to do a PhD if that works for you. But, if, but I would say if you have no interest in completing your PhD, then that motivational factor, the idea of being called doctor or having a PhD isn't strong enough to push you through. So I would say maybe you don't need to finish your PhD. But if you come to the answer of, yes, I need to finish, I, I, uh, sorry, another reason why a lot of people continue their PhD when they don't really want to is this idea that I've invested two, three, four years, I've invested money, I've, inv I've told all these people. Um, so that might be embarrassing to you to say that you're stopping your PhD or you might feel like a failure and these are all reasonable feelings. But the idea of I've invested two years so I should finish it off, um, that's I, in my mind, part of what's called the sunk cost fallacy and the idea that just because we've invested money already in it, we should continue to invest money in order to make best use of the money that we've already invested. Um, and that's essentially the idea of throwing good money after bad money that, um, you, you know, that just because you've already invested in it doesn't mean you should continue. If you do come to the answer that, yes, I need to continue, there are a few techniques that you can uh, do. These ideas are um, applications of ideas that I first read in James Clear's book, uh, Atomic Habits, and also ideas that I've read in his blog. So the first one is um, creating a writing and a reading habit. So you might start with writing or reading for one minute a day and every day add another minute to your writing habit. So today was one minute, tomorrow should be two, the next day three, four, five, and so on, and build up until you can get to 15-minute chunks. So that'll take, you know, theoretically three weeks. Once you're there, then I would encourage you to take a five-minute break and then do another 15-minute chunk. And so that together, the five, the 15 minutes and the five minutes is what's called a Pomodoro. Uh, and so you've got then this 20 minute chunk that's made up of 15 minutes of work and five minutes of rest. And those sprints, then you build those up to do more and more of those each day. So like I said, you've gone from one minute to 15. Now you're going to do a 20 minute um, sprint. So five minutes activity uh, 15 minutes activity, five minutes break. And now every day you're going to add a, an additional sprint to your regime. So like we added a minute each time, we're now adding an additional sprint. So day one, once you've got to the sprints, will be one sprint. Day two will be two sprints. That'll be 40 minutes of activity. Then day three will be three sprints, etc. until you get to the point of working about four hours a day. I think four hours a day is plenty, particularly if those are four effective hours. But if you feel that you're not making those hours effective, then you might want to add more hours to that. Um, and so that would, might be one way that you can help stay on track. So that's this idea of having structure to the way that you work, but structure that also includes regular breaks. The next is habit stacking. 
So for example, if you read social media every morning um, and that is a habit that you like, then you might say, after I read social media, I'm going to do my thesis. But a better habit stacking might be after I brush my teeth, I'm going to do my PhD. After I make my bed, I'm going to do my PhD. After I have breakfast, I'm going to do my PhD. Um, for some people, uh, exercise is a habit. So you might go, after I go to the gym, I'm going to do my PhD work. Uh, the other thing that you could do is uh, reward-based habit building or carrots and sticks. So the idea that I can't go to the gym until I've done one PhD sprint, or I can't go for a swim until I've done one PhD sprint, or I can't play the piano until I've done one PhD sprint. And so that can be kind of a carrot and stick model for your habits. The next thing is to make progress visible. So you might have a chart that tracks word count or pages or sections. But what I like better than all of those three is a chart that tracks um, streaks, streaks of sprints. So you can have how many sprints you've done in a day and then how many sprints, how many days you do at least one sprint in. And the idea is to just get lots and lots and lots and lots of sprints in a row. I would strongly advocate taking a two-day break every seven days, so the idea of weekdays and a weekend. Uh, but other than that, the streak continues on. So, you know, you miss Saturday and Sunday because that's not part of your normal work schedule, and then you hit, hit back on Monday. So doing Friday and then doing Monday is still consecutive, even though obviously there's a two-day break in there. If you want to choose two different days for your break, that's okay. If you want to mix it up, that's okay too. But this idea of streaks and making that visible is another important part of finishing a PhD that you have no interest in. The next thing is to potentially join a group. And that won't necessarily change your interest in your PhD, but it will potentially help motivate you. If you join a group who's writing, if you join a group that is thinking about their PhD and talking about their PhD all the time, that could potentially motivate you to continue going. So I would encourage you to join a group. If you don't know what group to join or if you want um, to join my group, feel free to do so. Writing your thesis in 15 weeks uh, is the group that I run. Uh, feel free to jump onto my website or Google writing your thesis in 15 weeks, I should come up and you can inquire more about that. So that's some tips on finishing a PhD you have zero interest in. The next question is about applying for jobs before you finish your PhD. So we had this question come up the other day uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in a support group and I thought that it would be useful to answer this for everyone. So the question was, should I be applying for jobs now that I've given my thesis draft to my supervisor. And I think, and then we're talking about jobs that say you need a PhD in order to be considered for the role. And I would say the answer is definitely yes. Because as I said before, there are people out there who write that they want a PhD for the applicant. And when they interview, they're okay with the idea that you're you know, at the write-up phase, close to submission, and they will happily hire you. Uh, you might be on a lower pay grade because you don't quite yet have the qualification, but they'll hire you and then they would like to see you make progress. And they might even support you by giving you study leave in order to finish your PhD. Uh, I've also seen exactly the same situation. They want a PhD and they hire you and they say, we'd like you to finish, but people never finish their PhD. That has ultimately had zero impact on their work, had zero impact on their income. There's no different pay grade. And the idea of finishing your PhD is lost. And two and three years later, 
the employer is not asking about the finished PhD. They are quite happy with the way that the person is working. So I would definitely say apply for jobs in the write-up phase of your PhD that require a PhD conferred uh, because people will interview you, they will hire you in the absence of a PhD under the proviso of you being on the way to getting one. Um, the next question was about jobs in the university industry nexus. Uh, in Australia anyway, there's an increasing number of these kinds of roles, notwithstanding COVID's impact and, and the impact overall that COVID has had on the university work, workforce. Uh, but certainly the government is pushing research, the Australian government is pushing research into an applied setting. So a lot more people need to have research activity that directly relates to industry or usable outcomes straight away. And so if someone working in that space is quite usable, useful. But the question is, what are the roles? So a lot of people think oh, I'll go into consulting um, and that's that's okay. But I think those jobs are highly competitive. And I think if you do go into a role like that, in many cases, you're competing with um, new graduates, new graduates from PhDs, new graduates without PhDs. And it can be a bit disheartening to be in that pool, particularly from a financial perspective, you might consider that as a backward step. Uh, and from an employment perspective, you might consider being in a graduate research, a graduate activity pool or a graduate employment pool being a backward step. The option that I would recommend to people, and I have recommended to people, is to talk to the commercialization offices, to talk to the innovation offices. There's an increasing number of innovation offices whose role it is to go and find work that might be translatable or might have a more direct industry outcome and help um, promote it. Uh, those offices also have programs and schemes that allow researchers to come forward and develop skills in commercialization and IP development or IP um, identification. So that might be a kind of role that you could um, sit in at the university industry nexus that is university-based rather than industry-based. Um, there are also industry people who want um, probably a better knowledge of academia who haven't had that experience before. And so you could potentially come in as an advisor or even as a researcher who can provide that expertise or experience, that translation step, if you like. So there's some examples of jobs in the university industry nexus. The next question is, how do I plan my PhD off-ramp? Or should I have a plan for my PhD off-ramp? I.e., I've submitted now, what do I do next and how do I plan for that? I would encourage you to be planning your PhD off-ramp from certainly the start of your last year. To me, that is making sure that when you meet someone new, you have some way of tracking or logging that meeting, i.e. growing your network. So you might add their email to your um, list of contacts. You might add their phone number to your list of contacts. But I think the easiest thing to do is to be on LinkedIn and connect with them if they're on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn allows you to create some notes around the connection, but you could just write a note to the person. You could write a message that says, dear Richard, thanks for the chat last week about careers. Uh, I might touch base with you again, or I might contact you again in the future if I um, need some more advice. And I would be quite happy to say, sure, feel free to reach out. And lots of people are in exactly the same situation. Or if you meet a sales rep, thanks for having a chat to me about whatever product it was or whatever service it was. Uh, and then you might not put the note about contacting them later, but having that 
um, record is a really useful way of growing your network and, and creating some connections that are meaningful around your career. I definitely feel like having some kind of plan is useful. A lot of people plan for a rest, which is great. Lots of people feel burned out by their PhD and a rest is really important. But I'm concerned that you'll lose momentum and planning for a rest is great and you'll probably naturally take that time off. And so, cool, you know, take off a month, but I would still be planning that in that you'll be doing nothing in that month, but I'll be planning for what happens at the end of that month in that time. So that, that's really useful as well. So still the idea of, oh, when do you think you'll be able to join the workforce or when do you think you're going to submit? So you might say, I'm going to submit in September and I'm going to start work in October. Um, and that's really important for you to stay clear on that. Um, the final question comes for some international people that I've been working with and, you know, building your network as a new resident. So just like I said before, using LinkedIn is important. Um, you can hang out where the, um, your potential network hangs out. So that might be at the university campuses that they hang out at. If you're brazen enough, you could, you know, potentially walk up to people that are at the coffee shop or at the bar or ordering coffee when you are or at the gym when you are and, and strike up a conversation and see where that leads you. That's perfectly fine. At least at that point, if you're at the gym, at the pool or, excuse me, at the coffee shop, you very, at the very least, you know that the, they have that interest of coffee, gym or swimming. And that might be an opportunity to strike up a conversation. Um, if you're in a particular discipline, then I would encourage you to find the discipline heads and just drop them a message that says, I've just landed in Australia, I'm new to the environment, I'm looking for work, uh, I'd love if you kept me in mind or can we have a chat about the, um, the academic work environment in Australia, for example. Um, so definitely check out all the people that are in your discipline. If you're located in a particular geographic region, I would look at the universities that are in that region that you'd be happy to travel to that you could easily travel to by car or public transport or whatever your preferred mode is and try and catch up with again the people in your discipline or in a related discipline in that space uh, and see what they what they think if you want you could contact the various HR departments and talk about the way that university goes about hiring new members just so you have a, a good understanding a lot of the land as it were what they're looking for and how they hire so they're the questions for this week's ask me anything uh, we're probably going to change things up in the next few weeks. Next week, we'll be looking specifically at LinkedIn for researchers. If you like this video or like anything on my site, uh, please make sure you um, indicate that with a little click of the like button or the love button. Feel free to share it with your friends. The best thing you can do for me is to recommend me to other people. Thanks again, Bakers, Writers and Rockstars. See you next week.